Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. Hey, hey. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. Hey, guys. This podcast is brought to you by Barbasol Shaving Cream, uh, the brand trusted by men for nearly 100 years to deliver a close and clean, comfortable shave, now has razors. Visit Barbasol.com today to order your shave kit. Use discount code BROWNS and you'll get $2 off your initial shave kit order. Shave Barbasol, people. It's the way to go. So, the combine just happened. There's tons of Browns news. There's tons of stuff going on, moving parts. There's no football, but there's tons of football going on behind the scenes. So, a ton of different teams applied their franchise tags today. Um, Some people that we were hoping to get our hands on um, if they had to hit the open market, but not going to be an option. A ton of defensive ends and edge rushers um, got snatched away. So, all of that conversation comes to an end. Um, names include Demarcus Lawrence, got franchise tagged by the Cowboys, Frank Clark with the Seahawks, Jadavian Clowney, no surprise there. Um, interior defensive lineman Grady Jarrett got franchise tagged, and uh, D. Ford also got franchise tagged with the Chiefs. Um, Don't forget about Robbie Gould. Oh, yeah, that happened today too. Big news. It, Big wasn't, news. it wasn't today, <laughs> but he got the tag. To be honest, if he hit the market. We'd probably be one of the <laughs> teams who's inter- interested. Hey, we'd give him more than $5 million. I don't That's know about we... that. I don't know about that. I think, okay, I think that it's always, we've talked had this conversation on the pod. It is worth it to pay a kicker the amount of money to have a solid kicker. Would you give... Well, I think Justin Tucker should be worth three times what any other kicker exactly. in the NFL is getting. W- would you pay $15 million to Justin Tucker? Possibly. Like, I a think a year... It, Possibly. That's like 10% of your salary. <laughs> That's so much. But the kicker scores the most points on the team. All the all-time scores in NFL history are kickers. Yeah. No, 15 is too much. But I, would, too much. I might spend <laughs> 10. But I might spend 10. What does Justin Tucker make? Um, he's up there with the, with the best of them. I mean, it, it ultimately comes down to just like a return on investment. Like, And he's like what, legitimately one many many games for the baltimore ravens he's so mechanical so accurate so precise any of these guys other guys besides kickers um <laughs> surprise you that they got franchise tag none of them really jump out to me but i mean almost all of those pass rushers i thought were gonna get franchise tag the ones that you didn't mention are the ones that aren't getting the tag it's true it's true which is, That's what you're most excited about. Yeah, which is what I care about. I didn't. I thought maybe one of them would slip through the cracks from the pass rusher side of things. So maybe we'd get our chance to go after Clowney or something like that. But to be honest, I'm kind of glad that the temptation isn't even there. You know, like no, there's some of these guys like Clowney, who yeah. if you want him for a pure pass rusher on the outside, not really. But some team would talk themselves into it. A guy like Frank Clark, I'm kind of surprised got franchise tag. Not that he's not a good player, but now he's being paid like a top five defensive end in the league, which he's probably not. But sometimes when that's the only player that position that can produce, you have to do something about it to keep him in if you don't have any other options in free agency. I think that the Texans are able to get away with tagging Clowney as an outside linebacker and saving a couple million dollars. Well, there was going to be that debate. Yeah. I I know his... um, Agent was making the argument that he's a defensive end. Uh, who makes that call? I don't even understand how that works. <laughs> I, I think there's like, a, I like, think does there's the a, NFL like get no, to, like, have I think, to review it. I think it? there is like an arbitration process, <laughs> kind of a thing where 
Because it makes it it's or a it difference of like three million dollars or something. Yeah, it's over two. Anyway, that's crazy. That is funny. All right, so people that didn't get franchise tagged and are going to hit that market, um, one of the people you guys wanted to talk about, you'd mentioned this on a previous podcast, Michael, C.J. Mosley. So the Ravens are parting ways with C.J. Mosley unless they can work something out after he gets a bunch of other offers, which seems unlikely. I mean, I think you think it's unlikely that he'll get other offers? No, I think it's unlikely that he resigns with the Ravens after he hits the open market. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm just shocked. So, like, I saw them dumping cap by trading away Joe Flacco and opening up, like, space. And I thought for sure they were going to make that room for C.J. Mosley. Like, I don't know if he's just asking too much or what, and they just don't see the the long-term fit. But even if he was asking too much, I thought for sure they were going to tag him and at least take one more year to like have a long-term solution in place. Because if I look at their roster, I don't see how they're going to survive on defense, to be like perfectly honest. like He's the heart and soul of that defense in the middle. They don't, there's two fat boys in the middle. I mean, but like at, at the second level, like it's CJ Mosley. They have Zadarius Smith, who's also a free agent. Like, there's just not anyone that's like obviously going to step in and fill that spot. I'm really just surprised. And if the Browns wanted to go after him, I'd be perfectly okay with it. Perfectly okay with it. It would mean absolutely getting rid of um, Collins, but. That that's seems happening like, anyway. That seems like a possibility more yeah. than anything else. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm I'm surprised too. I'm, so I'm glad from a Browns competitive standpoint, whether we get him or not, like I'm glad he's not going to be on the Ravens. Yeah. It's a it's a tough move when you've got a linebacker like that because you look around the league and how how often does it pay off to to pay your linebacker a, a big time deal? I mean, you've got Luke Keekley, you've got Bobby Wagner, but Bobby Wagner's even still underpaid. Yeah, he was the first one of those Seahawks like core players to sign the long term deal. Yeah. But then you get some some other linebackers. I mean, Collins is probably the prime example. Signing a deal and I mean, gee, I wish we had that twenty five million dollars back over the last two years. Didn't really get us very far. Yeah. It also doesn't matter at this point. We wouldn't water under the bridge. Twenty five million dollars. It does, but that's not the position that you want to be underwater in. Like, especially if you're a team, if you're a team like the Ravens. I mean, for us, it didn't matter for the last two seasons. But yeah, you you don't want to be signed with giving Todd Gurley twelve million dollars a year, and he's got arthritis in his knee, and you don't want <laughs> you don't want to be stuck in a linebacker who doesn't play. Is the I would think that linebacker has the shortest. It's not historically true probably defensive tackle, the shortest shelf life. Like, they are make, making the most contact. Well, on the defense, I'm okay. saying. They're like the running backs of the defense. Because they're the yeah. ones meeting in the windows. They're doing, they're basically filling the same function, but just the inverse. All right, so there's... Taking a pounding. <laughs> taking a pounding, time in and time again. Um, so there's C.J. Mosley. Um, there's a chance um, that he comes... To Cleveland, that would be something that would be exciting, except for the most exciting thing is that he's not going to be on the Ravens anymore. There's also Tim Jernigan. What do you guys think about him? Um, he's going to be released by the Eagles. I mean, he's arguably the most productive defensive tackle, I think, that's going to – I guess Ndamukong Sue is also going to be on the market. But 
Depends on what flavor we want. I don't know. I, I like the age of Timmy Jernigan coming off of his rookie deal. He's only 26 right now. Yep. Um, so you like putting a guy like that that's going to have a few good years in front of him. Um, but we were talking about this. He doesn't have a ton of pressures. He was injured and only played a handful of games last year. Um, we just looked up the stats before we came on uh, the pod. And then the year before that, he only had about he had like nine or ten quarterback pressures. So he's a one-tech. He's not a penetrating like three technique. So that would mean that Ogunjobi's role shifts he, over to that three-tech a little bit. He had nine tackles for loss. Oh, how many QB pressures does it say? Um, 18 quarterback hits. Okay. And so then or pressures eight. is... Eight quarterback hits. So that pressures is going to That is a big, big <laughs> difference. Um, I've always had a positive impression of Timmy Jernigan. I can't pretend that I've like watched a ton of him like looking solely at him, so I'm not going to pretend to be the expert. But I would have a general positive feeling if like that was somebody we decided to go after. I feel like it's a much cheaper option than Grady Jarrett and would probably only be... A, it would be similar production if I if I had to guess. Yeah, never had a ton of sacks. It's clearly a one technique, which would mean some shuffling on the defensive line. But hey, way better than anybody else we have on the inside. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, we have we have to go after that defensive tackle position in free agency and the draft. Like, we need a rotation, a solid four guys that we can like shuffle through there. Let's bring both of them in. Bring Sue and Jernigan in. I don't think that is necessary, but um, I, I think that would be a an unwise use of resources. And get Ed Oliver. But you get, <laughs> but if you if you would get Sue on like a a one, Sue's pretty old. I mean, he's mid thirties, not mid thirties. He's, he's early thirties now, thirty two. Um, you might be able to get him for a two year deal. Bring him in. Bring Jernigan in, just wreak havoc in the middle with Larry. I would rather, yeah, I would rather spread it out a little bit more. If you're going to spend decent money on uh, free agents, like you got to you got to spread it out a little bit. You can't go heavy on one position, especially when you already have a Larry Ogunjobi at defensive tackle. If we were completely devoid of the position, it'd be different. Fair enough. I'm just kind of bummed that none of these edge rushers like. I wasn't surprised that Trey none, Flowers of, them, is none of them hit the market, but I just would have been much more fun if one of them hit the market. Well, there's Trey. Who are the edge rushers, right? It's Trey Flowers, Ezekiel Ansa, yeah, Justin Houston, no. Justin Houston now, who yeah. is evidently going to be dropped by the Chiefs because D Ford was their franchise tag. So I mean, these are Dante Fowler, also Preston Smith. From the Redskins, all I mean, going to hit free agency. Those aren't bad options. Like, if you're looking at edge players, uh, I mean, Preston Smith is a guy I would certainly love to take, but I think everyone's looking at him as a value option, and he's probably not going to be a value for that very reason. But, I, I mean, those are five guys that, like, have produced in some way, shape, or form, all kind of coming at it from a different angle. Dante Fowler is probably the biggest risk of any of those. Ezekiel Ansa Just seems... Just because he's a head case. <laughs> Chucky. Yeah. What a weird dude. Uh, no, but I, th- I mean, this pass rusher class, when you looked at the free agency whole spectrum, like, was so abundant. 
Yes. And I, it could have been. I still yeah. think it is it is better than most years. Well, it's interesting to me, available. though, because of our position in the draft, there's not really probably going to be a really awesome option at edge that's going to drop to us besides maybe like Chikai Polite's right in there in that range. That now could fall to like 17. We can get him in the second round now, yeah. possibly. Yeah. Fatty over there. He fatty produces, though. He's a worker. That's what you want from your defensive line. You get a big fatty that didn't work hustle? preparing for the combine. <laughs> um, so I, I just wonder, I was hoping to get that edge in free agency and then get an interior defensive lineman in the first round of the draft. Is that what you guys is that what you guys are thinking? Is that what you guys want to sign a sign one of these free agents and then get interior one in the draft? I have no idea what I want. I want good value, right? Like I really want good value. Like that's truly the answer that I want. And spoken like a true apostle. <laughs> Sashi apostle. Like I I think there's ways that you can slice it either way. The draft is deep, honestly, in defensive tackles so i see that being a more like the picture you painted being a more likely scenario of us getting an edge guy potentially in free agency and then getting defensive tackle depth in the draft that just makes sense to me i'm just not used to picking at 17 where it's like i can't i don't know who's i gonna can't be definitively there. know who i want because and i also when i think about the draft i just don't know what dorsey's priorities are from a positional standpoint like a lot of browns fans talk about how we need a wide receiver but like how much does dorsey think we need a wide receiver yeah, Dor- i don't really know and dorsey like, drafts like edge players he drafts corners he drafts offensive tackles right like he's never round. taken receivers high he takes like really good athletes at the receiver position for sure um, it's I just don't know. We're gonna go so after that kid from Notre Dame is a lock. We're gonna go after a few free agents, but I don't know if we're going any after any of like top the top ten free agents. I just I it never works out. Well, he did have, that. and I'm okay with that. Like I don't want to pay an extra five million dollars per year for a player that's like on the downside of his yeah. career. How are the Giants feeling about that Vernon? Oh, they're trying to trade him. That's Dude. another that's yeah. another edge player that's available. Yeah, Olivier Vernon. He's apparently on the trading block as of this week. Oh, but it was a coup when they got him. They, they got him and Janoris him. Jenkins for like oh. a crap ton of money. Congrats. Yeah. Well, did you hear John Dorsey on NFL Network saying that um, he wasn't going to go out and spend a ton of money because he doesn't think that right now we're ready for the push? Yes. The push. Yeah, the push. I'm glad you, you brought this up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wonder, what, I'm glad you what brought does that up. mean? No, like, I don't, I like to think that we are ready for the push. <laughs> <laughs> but is that because we just don't know what it means to, like, be in position and be for ready? For push? <laughs> ready to push? Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, probably so. I mean, we're it's probably, such foreign we're territory. We're pushing a little too early over here. Like... <laughs> We think that a Super Bowl push and a winning season is the same thing. Like, I, I think we kind of equate those two things in our mind. Like, once you're over 500, like, you might as well go after the Super Bowl. And I think Dorsey probably has a little more um, perspective. nuanced perspective of what, what that actually looks like. The high-end talent you need and the depth you need. 
to to make it happen. But I think that really like pissed a bunch of Browns fans off. Like I I don't think that sat well with a lot of people whenever he pretty much indicated that like this year isn't the year to go all in. It's that fine. I think with he's me. right. I mean, I th- I think you have to tread a little lightly and go into this next season with a, a second year quarterback and a, a new head coach and see what you got. Before First you, time new head coach. Before yeah. you commit a whole ton of salary cap dollars on kind of short-term deals to yeah. try to push yourself over the top. I mean, look at the Rams. They they kind of committed all that in their second year with the, the combination. They saw that the it potential. Was they, and they went for it. And heck, they would have traded for Khalil Mack if the Raiders would have played ball with them. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I think it's a good model to look after. And I can't say that I think he's wrong but it kind of sucks to like actually admit it hear it from from his mouth but just because he's not ready for the push doesn't mean it's not going to be a good season it doesn't mean that we don't like grow into a Super Bowl contender like throughout the year no for sure and it's actually kind of encouraging based on what we've seen him do in Kansas City when he overspent their entire cap and actually put them in a little bit of a bind no it's that true. was what that was one of our like fears about john dorsey going in so to hear him speak was, was in this alex way, smith a part of the push <laughs> in should. kansas city i don't know i don't know you'd have to ask john about the push <laughs> i don't think i want john explaining the push to me he also um <laughs> he's not the most eloquent he also at the end of that interview um i think it was which guy was it on nfl network he said something about his sweatshirt and that he was wearing. He's like, oh, you're looking good in that sweatshirt. And John Dorsey was like, oh, stop it. Like, <laughs> so John Dorsey I've may, heard ha- enough. he may hate us. There's a good <laughs> chance that like the three of us, he has disdain for us Our in his heart. mocking. Yeah. <laughs> Just fair warning. We weren't mocking him. What are you talking about, Michael? Uh, <laughs> imitation is the finest form of flattery. So yeah. I think he should be nothing but flattered. I, I do love John Dorsey. If he's listening to this right now, I want him to know that that's all I feel for him in my heart. He's like a cartoon character. It's amazing. So there is a decent bit of Browns news that has gone on. Um, Mary Kay and a couple of other people have reported that Duke is potentially on the trading block because we've been reached out to by multiple teams trying to acquire Duke Johnson. Um, I think that's John Dorsey's doing. I think that's what he said in that presser that he Putting was... Putting his freaking foot in his mouth? That he was not expendable yet. So that's probably the reason for that. Somebody said it on Twitter today, and I think this is right. I think it was maybe Brent Sobleski, and I think he said that may be true that Duke could be traded, but I don't see Duke being traded for anything but like another like significant asset. Like the Browns are not going to dump Duke Johnson for like a a draft pick like but if there's like a particularly valuable player like if we send duke to i think this is crazy i don't think this is actually it but like to the giants and we get odo beckham back or something like that like like you <laughs> know you but like caveat as, in as part of the yeah, i don't see that happening <laughs> either as part of a significant trade where there's a veteran proven player coming back that's gonna like make a big difference to the browns i think that's the only situation where duke gets traded Duke for Gronk. I think Gronk's not going to play another down. Let him down. live out his days in peace. 
in Cleveland. <laughs> I think Duke. Yeah. I can no. see Gronk and Baker could be a, a, a quite a, the combo, a, a dangerous personality combination. <laughs> the the thing I don't understand about trading Duke right now is like we have never utilized his assets for our team. Like we we will always be if we trade Duke right now. We've never shown his true capabilities to the rest of the NFL. We'd be trading him low. We'd be getting. We wouldn't be getting the value that we deserve from that asset. This last year in particular, he like had less than a hundred touches, and he had like a, I think a hundred and fifty touches in two thousand eighteen. In two thousand seventeen, we're just saving him for the push. <laughs> We've got him for three more years. Just so. saving him for the push. Well, we yo. have plenty of running backs for that. But the, the legitimately looking at our roster, Kareem Hunt is going to be suspended for a good portion of the season. Um, I think we hopefully, have to assume that. We hopefully to, nine games. We'd have to assume that. And then hopefully nine games. Why do you say that? So that he doesn't reach a full it, contract. It's year. gotta be eleven. It's gotta be eleven? Yeah. I thought it was over if half. Have, if you have six if you have six games, uh, you you have to miss it's basically yeah. You have to play in at least six games. You have to play in at least six oh, games okay. to a career season. To be in the crew. Okay. Yeah. So eleven. So it's That's eleven is me. the magic number. Thank you for putting for, words to my thoughts that weren't connecting um but obviously he's gonna be out so like if all of a sudden nick chubb had an injury like we'd be screwed we'd be absolutely screwed we have whatever his face is that played okay for us for the second half of the season but like he's not a guy you want to pass the rock off to you know i don't i don't know why you would trade duke and frankly i'm not really sure who would trade significant value for him I don't know if that's true. I think he's a good player. There's a lot of teams that don't have any... Like, the Ravens would love to have Duke Johnson. Yeah. There's a lot of teams that don't have any running back talent. You can can draft... But the thing about it with running backs is I feel like you can draft a guy and just plug and play. Exactly. So, I I don't know who's trading significant assets and then paying him $5 million a year. And it's like, oh, now suddenly this is a really expensive running back who, like... Gets up hurt. Five million dollars is not really expensive. You're not paying him like the Falcons are paying Devontae Freeman or the Rams are paying Todd Gurley. Like that that could go south quick. I mean that Rams Todd Gurley situation. I'm just saying, like it's not because of the arthritis. The five five million per year. I mean that's the same amount that the Jaguars are currently paying Carlos Hyde. (laughs) (laughs) So. So Fair to put that ass. in perspective, yeah, I, I don't think it's that onerous of a contract. No, I don't. I don't think you trade Duke now. I think uh, before the trade deadline, before week eight, it could be a depending on how the season's going, depending on the potential Kareem Hunt situation. You I, you kind of reevaluate, and that could be an interesting kind of midseason trade. That might be exactly what John Dorsey was talking about. I would Yet. shed it. I would <laughs> yeah, that like that exact situation. I would shed a tear though. I love me some Duke Johnson. Oh, absolutely. That's been a theme on the mm, podcast, mm, no mm, doubt. Mm. Um, so another person that I love that we're probably not going to get back is Brian Body Calhoun. This is weird to me. I don't know why we wouldn't tender him. The The thing about Body is his flexibility in what he showed last year. When he filled in at safety, he was solid. And I don't think he had that great of a year in 2018 overall, like particularly in corner. When he played in the slot, he got beat early in the season. But what kind of tender would you give him? Like a second round tender. It'd be like $4 million. Because no one's going to take it and then we'd just be able to keep him. 
Yeah, no one would jump on that. But doesn't that violate one of Sashi's rules? You don't pay for depth. Sashi's not the GM. I know, but we've we've talked about Sashi's rules, and Body Calhoun doesn't really see the field I, very often, given our current lineup situation. And so you're do you talking make, about paying good money for somebody who, who isn't contributing frequently. It's a fair point. But when he did, it was so key. We needed him so bad to be able to be that versatile role that could hop in at safety and hop in in the slot. I think you could pay for versatile depth. I think that there's an argument to be made to pay for depth for someone that can play multiple positions on the offensive line. That's proved to be incredibly valuable over the past couple of years. And multiple positions in the secondary on defense. I mean, $4 million. That's not. So a second-round tender, according to Over the Cap, is only $3 million. See? We'll start a GoFundMe. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and so unless you're going to replace him with a rookie, you're, you're going to end up paying $3 million for that player, right? You would think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I don't know why you wouldn't tender him. Mm-hmm. Just Especially because of the flexibility. That's the thing that kills me. Is so now we need an, another safety. Well, if, you let, if you let him... No. <laughs> <laughs> if you let him go, you need safety him. depth. And you need more depth at corner. Like That's why I think he's really valuable. Is you kind of kill two birds with one stone. I'm I'm kind of okay with um, bending that rule of Sashi's for a situation like that where you get to save a roster spot by having yeah paying a guy three million dollars for that sort of flexibility. I, I, that's kind of the way I'm viewing it. Um, and so what you're doing by saying this is okay. I'm rolling with Terrence Mitchell and TJ Carey in the, and then with TJ Carey in the slot. Is my assumption, which I think is, I mean, that's a fine group to roll with. That's fine, but TJ Carey's not cheap. Like, yeah, but we're stuck with him. I would. Let me. I'll look at his contract. We're stuck with him for at least this year. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and Terrence Mitchell, we're keeping. He's stuck with us. Um. Yeah, but goodness gracious, that TJ Carey contract. Like, this season, he makes $8.9 million. Yeah, no, we gave him a ton of money. That's a huge contract for his production. Terrence Mitchell, on the other hand, three years, $10 million. Killing it. Yeah, there's significant value. You look at the two of them and the value they're producing, it's about right. But it's like (laughs) very unequally weighted. Poor Terrence. (laughs) I wonder if TJ just like buys dinner for him every once in a while. What was it we talked about in the last podcast? There's two skill sets, like maximizing your value and like actually producing. <laughs> that's where that that's what it is in the workforce. Um unfortunately another um player that I, I don't know, I'm not too excited about this, that we're not gonna re-sign Bashard Perriman. Well, we're going to let him hit the market. I don't think it's a done deal that he's not going to come back to the Browns. He said that he wants to, but letting him hit the market is a significant step. But he's also got Drew Rosenhaus as his agent. And so Drew Rosenhaus like, is loves this. Loves to play the game. 
and play hardball and push for the absolute maximum dollar for his client. So, I mean, but it's a tough sell when when your client's Brashad Perriman. We're gonna see. The bet will come to fruition. That's the best part of this whole. That's the best part. Is that he's actually gonna hit the free agents? What? Where is the dollar amount? Fifty bucks. Yeah, fifty bucks. Fifty bucks cash. Fifty bucks or Venmo. That's cash. (laughs) Yeah, probably Venmo. (laughs) For being honest, (laughs) it's definitely a Venmo situation, (laughs) and it'll have to be requested. It will not be openly given. (laughs) So what happens if what happens if we sign him for more than that? Okay, but back to our team. But he hit the market. The amount was the amount was just the amount that he's getting signed for. That is, if he hits the open market, does he sign for more or less than five million dollars per year? I'm on the more side. Matthew's on the less side. Yeah, I also joined Matthew's side. You did, you did. Um, anyways. as did half of our Twitter followers. Yeah, we did a little poll. I think it was over seventy people, and it was evenly split. So um, this seems like a valid question to be asked. It'll yeah. be interesting to see what happens. We're asking, we're asking the right questions. I'm on the Drew Rosenhaus <laughs> side of this thing. <laughs> Which is never the side you want to be on. <laughs> Very true. Uh, my question is, if you're a team and you're giving Paraman more, like, say, a $7 million a year deal, don't you feel really bad about that? I don't feel really bad if it's short-term. Um, I do if it's long-term. Like, Yeah, I do if it's long-term. Like, even, like, a two-year $14 million deal just hmm. seems like... Yeah, a reach. Perriman would eat that up. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. And if I was him, I would too. He should. That's just good business. All right. Yeah. What? Yeah. What were you gonna say? I, I don't know. I don't. I'm, I'm feel good about my position in this bet. We will see. Time will tell. Time will tell. Um. So one of the we did put a tender on Richard Higgins. Um, do you know what the tender is? Is it a second, second round, round is expected, would... but I don't, just because I don't think we have to put any more than that. Like, I don't think anyone's going to jump at the chance to pry Richard Higgins from us for, for a second round pick. No one's going to give up a second round pick to take Richard, Richard Higgins, Higgins off yeah. of our hands. It was either so. original, original draft selection, second or first. And he was a fifth round pick. Options. And so, he was a fifth round pick. So and you right. could lose him. You'd probably lose him for a fifth. Yeah. So. Pay an extra million dollars and keep him. So obviously glad to know that he's going to be around because if you don't have Rashard Higgins, like you're looking real thin at wide receiver. Yeah. So we're going to be rolling out Jarvis Landry, Higgins, Ricardo Ricardo Lewis. Callaway. How great would it be to be Ricardo Lewis, though? Like you played on an 0-16 team, and then in the offseason you like got hurt and had to sit out. And you're coming back to a team with like all this positive momentum going forward. Like the the change of scenery from those two things. Yeah, but like, I'd be terrified that I wasn't gonna be a part of it. Well, yeah. So he's like super <laughs> motivated to actually like work his tail off, which but is also, great. Could you imagine the rest and rejuvenation taking a full season off the NFL does for your body? Like that has to be something special. You would think so. Hope Ricardo Lewis was working out with DK Metcalf. In yeah. this, like, juicing up. I don't. Juicing up with DK in the bathroom. I don't. Let's talk about the combine. Do we have anything else, <laughs> no. Um Yeah. So I wanted to talk about also, Michael. You watched the whole combine. I wanted to talk about Joe Thomas. How how did he do on on air? Well, the O line was like favorite. I think one of the first days, like on Friday, and so 
and to clarify this with everyone, I don't get to watch the combine every year, but this year I did because I was super, super sick. Michael's self-employed. I am so self-employed. He gets, he gets and to I'm, watch the, whatever he wants. And I was real sick. And so I was literally just sitting on my couch and maybe doing a few emails, but mostly watching the combine. Self-employed sick days, I'm sure, are the best sick days. <laughs> it was good. It was good. You don't have to tell anybody. Yeah. Just like, well, I'm not doing anything today. It's <laughs> exactly because right. of this that I'm feeling. <laughs> um, but Joe Thomas was in his absolute element. Like they're going through all of the offensive lineman drills, which like normally if you're watching that, you're like, okay, they're blocking, hitting pads and doing all this different stuff. Yeah. But the nuance that he brought to like every single like leg movement that took place the kick you like, gotta get the kick no but all of it like about he's that all talking time, about yeah. like stepping in the bucket and like all this stuff and talking about like their knees being outside of their ankles or not and like stuff in their like first steps it all made perfect sense like why it was relevant to the offensive lineman position but like would not have been anything that would have jumped out to me whenever i would be watching with my own naked eye and so everyone was raving about like Andre Dillard, for instance, because his you know times and everything were phenomenal. Yeah, and he's widely known as like the best you know, as far as from the tackle position, from a um, protecting against the pass rush, like he's by far the best. Not so good in the run game, but Joe was making comments about how his technique like really needs some refining. And that's like what I had heard from some people I respect, like from watching his tape, but without the detail of what Joe showed, basically just like he's got a lot of like messiness in his footwork and relies on his athletic ability more so than his actual technique to win. I would love it if Joe Thomas became the Tony Romo but for offensive linemen and just starts calling out blocking schemes I was just, like ahead of, ahead of the play. I was just thinking, oh, that. they're going to trap down here. <laughs> He's going to make the offensive the linemen. The center's going to pull. <laughs> He's going to make the offensive linemen run left, famous. Run left. <laughs> See that twitch. For the brand. So there are so many people that like want him to get the Monday night job. And I was thinking about <laughs> this too, because like his expertise is the offensive line. Like, and I just don't know if that is as universally like loved and, and appreciated. And appreciated. And I just, uh, yeah, I, I love it. I love it. But he always apologizes. Like whenever he talks like on his podcast, even when he starts talking about the ins and outs of like offensive line play, I love it. Because I've never heard someone speak about it in such like a so passionately, like, passionately, and in like a in a clear, relatable manner. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then he like is like, oh, sorry, I'm getting too far in the weeds. And I was like, no, just keep going. Like I love this. Yeah. But I'd rather I, listen to that than Hawkins tell like a stupid story that oh he thinks gosh. is funny. Yes. Oh gracious. Oof. I listened to that podcast solely for Joe Thomas. Yes. Yes. So, anyways, he was great and crushed it. And probably should have been there just by himself instead of next to Sean O'Hare. But that's another story. He's hmm. quickly taking over the NFL network, that Joe Thomas. Love the guy. I hope he does. Speaking he speaking of ex-Browns, Matthew, you got a story about uh, Johnny Manziel's cheating wife. <laughs> it's been a tough week for the Manziels. 
It's been a tough week. Johnny got released from the Montreal Alouettes or whatever the hell Canadian team he was playing for. Mm-hmm. Doesn't broke, matter. Broke some contract. Don't deserve the dignity of being no. named. But the biggest news out of the Menzel household, Johnny Menzel's wife <laughs> set a world record running a half marathon that she didn't train for. <laughs> the story goes, she ran a half marathon for charity this last weekend. Um, Good for her. You're wearing the bib. Like, they take pictures each time you cross a certain threshold. Like, they keep your time. Through 6.4 miles, it took her over an hour and a half. Which, no shame. No shame. That's okay. You you run the pace you run. It's over a nine-minute mile pace. That'd probably be about where I'm sitting at. You're doing fine. It's a charity run. Have fun. We're not talking about that. The issue comes in, in that over the next... 6.7 miles that she supposedly ran. It only took her less than 30 minutes. And she finished the total race. She's a strong finisher. She is a strong finisher. She's a strong finisher. She knows when the push needs to happen. Yeah. She's very aware of when the push is. We're ready for the push. So she put on a strong push. And it started raising eyebrows when people realized that over that last 6.7 miles, in order to finish the race, she would have had to run faster than the women's one-mile world record pace. Consistently for Consistently six straight for miles. for 6.7 miles. <laughs> and, and so if you don't know anything about uh, half marathons, it's, it's a big deal to get in under that two-hour threshold. Two-hour like, threshold. That's, that's, what, that's what everyone's like gunning for. That's like a pretty... Yeah, in a half marathon, that's like a, a, yeah. a pretty respectable like amateur time. Uh-huh. When I ran mine, I was a little over two hours. So like, so by, little, no, by no means. So you're a little slower than Johnny Manziel's wife. Johnny Manziel's wife, apparently. <laughs> yeah. The best part is that it was pointed out to her that she probably skipped some of the race. Right? <laughs> like she she was, probably like hopped on a golf yeah. cart and... <laughs> and she... She Instagrammed, and I, I believe, oh, what was the term? She she called all the criticism um, sad and pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> Just really doubling down. Deflecting. Yeah. Doubling down. Double it's, down, Miss Manziel. Double down. Is there anything more sad than, like, the people who cheat at marathons to win nothing? Well, but, no, like, just to get, like, That's the, what I think is so funny about it is, is a marathon or a half marathon, whatever, like, it's like, no one cares. It's all just for you. All you have to do is not cheat, and then no one will care. Like, all you have to do is not take it way too seriously, and no one will care at all. Um, I thought that would be good. I thought Matthew would be excited about sharing that story. Uh, anything bad that happens to Johnny Manziel is just music to my ears, the, the, honestly. Well, Even if I it's his wife or his family. Th- that's who great. he associates with. Like, oh, it's yeah. just like they're literally, like, bound by covenant yes. and are, like, two you pe- know, two, two peas, peas in, in a pod. pod. Yep. <laughs> the, the headlines are great. It's like, Manziel's wife set a world record half marathon pace or more likely cheated. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about the combine. Um, I want to talk about some of these hot names. Hot I've got lots of information. I watched every single second of the Michael combine coverage. Michael was sick. He watched the whole combine coverage. I was healthy, so I was working. Um, so we're going to just pop some questions at Michael about his um, 
breadth of combine knowledge. I, it's not that deep, but all I did was sit on Twitter and watch the combine. You watched infinitely more of the combine than I did. For sure. So, um, first off, I want to give you a platform. What was something that stuck out to you besides Joe Thomas? Something that what was your favorite part about watching the combine? Um, or person, or I like Daniel Jeremiah a lot more than I like Mike Mayock. Okay. I don't know if that's a like universe. I don't know. I think lots of people like Mike Mayock. Actually, I think so too. Um, so that's probably not a very popular opinion, but I really like Daniel Jeremiah. That was good. Um, man, it is so clear that there are some positions that are fantastic in this draft, and there are some positions that are just not that great. The wide receiver position is one of those positions that I feel so good about from top to bottom in this draft. So That's much interesting so. because there's not like in like the top 10, there's not any like top shelf, but you're saying like the whole breadth of the, the class. The depth of the class is ridiculous. Like, and there were so many guys that tested well. It was phenomenal. Um, and it was really interesting to see since we went to the senior bowl and got mm-hmm. like a little bit more of an insight into some of those guys than we probably had had in years past, like to know and be familiar with a lot of these names and see them come into this for the actual testing portion. Yeah. Like to have an understanding of like where everyone had them kind of slotted heading into this and then see where everything like shook out afterwards was just my favorite part because yeah. so many of the position groups got completely flipped on their head. And some of the guys that were expected to do really well um, definitely didn't. And there were some that absolutely crushed it. And then there was a couple of names that came out that were just, like, absolutely unheard of. I mean, the wide receiver from Notre Dame, Miles Boykin, had, like, an historically great combine. Like, if you look at his athletic testing and his spark numbers, he's in the 99.9 percentile for NFL wide receivers. The most athletic position. Like, literally, <laughs> literally the best athlete. And he wasn't even on, like, anyone's, like, top 20 at the wide receiver position, like, heading into the combine. So, like, stuff like that is just makes you, like, shake your head and wonder what in the world's going on. Uh, so it, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, Wait, okay, so that's interesting to me because we, we already talked about um, John Dorsey's proclivity for drafting wide receivers late, like third round, big athletes. Like, do you think? So I don't. That's know. a that's a pretty. I mean, with John Dorsey's track record, he drafts crazy athletes <laughs> in the late round. Like he does. Do you think that's a legitimate possibility that we draft? So if him you like look at like Kansas rounder? City, he took like Tyreek Hill like late. That was a fifth round pick. He took Chris Conley, who also was a serious combine winner. Like tested out the, the wazoo, coming out of Georgia, didn't have that much actual like production in college when he was in Georgia 43 and a half inch vertical on Miles Morgan oh no like ridiculous he's he's potentially the best combine like wide receiver of all time like it's unbelievable and his tape is rather unimpressive like I've seen highlights of him he doesn't separate that well like you'll see a few plays where he like makes a catch like over somebody but he doesn't look like a natural like football player necessarily so it doesn't seem like it completely translates onto the field. I don't know if it will. It's just a weird, weird situation. And I don't feel like – I feel like the same thing happened today with the defensive backs who tested earlier today. All of the names that tested really well are not the names that were assumed to be at the top at of the, the class. Top. 
Greedy Williams did fairly well from a testing standpoint. But the other top names like Byron uh, Murphy. Byron Murphy, he was okay, but he wasn't wasn't great. And same thing with the guy from Georgia, DeAndre Baker. Like he ran in the four sixes. Like for a corner, when you're running in the four sixes, that's bad. It's not good. Like it's not good. If there's one position that the forty matters, like this is the one thing I think I've learned about like this pre-draft testing. Like I was hesitant to like buy into this notion because I thought Vernon Hargreaves was like everything because I'm a Florida Gator fan. But he hasn't done anything since he's been in the NFL and he's ran a slow 40 and everyone was knocking him for it. Like I'm as big a believer in the 40 with related to corners as anybody now after seeing that and some other examples in recent years. So if you're running in the four sixes, same thing with Jawan Williams from Vanderbilt. Like he ran, he's a bigger corner and everyone was hoping that he was going to run in the low four fives or something. He didn't even come close. He was like four, six, five or something like that. Four, six, four. Yeah. Which is not good. No. So all these, like all of these lists got turned on their head, definitely at corner. And there was a ton of like really top athletes at corner. And so it's just, it's crazy. The kid from Auburn just crushed it. He ran a four, three flat. Jamel Dean, who apparently has been like hurt like his whole career at Auburn and ran a four, three flat. It's He's all- just been training for this for four <laughs> years. It's always good to run a four three flat at the combine. It's never <laughs> bad for you. No. So he made himself a little bit of money, probably at least one rookie contract today. That, that's what's hilarious about the NFL. Somebody will watch that and be like, "I can keep him healthy." <laughs> 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 you know. Yeah. Yeah. Those last four years are in no way indicative of what his entire career is going to be. Fluke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think the name that probably jumped out more than anybody is at wide receiver is DK Metcalf. Like, what are your guys' thoughts? Oh, on- absolutely. One of the most polarizing people among everything that I've read amongst Browns fans, it's either we have to do everything in our power to get him on our team right now. Or- DK Metcalf, for anyone who might not know, is wide receiver from Ole Miss, like absolute physical freak was reported by Ian Rappaport that he had 1.6% body fat. Is it possible? There's no way that's true. Uh, Like, if you look it up, like, there's literally no way that's true. Like, if you find pictures of people that have, like, 3% body fat, they look (laughs) like they're about to die. (laughs) Like, their veins are literally popping out, and they look like the most unhealthy individuals you've ever seen in your entire life. Uh, Which he, DK Metcalf, does not look like an unhealthy individual. No, he looks entirely ripped, like might be on steroids. But if I if gun to my head, is DK Metcalf doing steroids? I don't think for a second I say no. I say yes every time, and I will live to see but another day. But you get day. tested at the combine, so like you, he's got to be clean. Well, what's like the latency period for that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but DK Metcalf, like, is he a guy? If the Browns had a chance to get him, would you want him at seventeen? No. Okay, so if you saw his web tree of his skills it is from mock draft from mock draftable it is the most absurd thing i've ever seen he is a ridiculous athlete as far as speed strength and acceleration everything that you could test is and in, measurables like his yeah, like oh, height, he's ginormous weight, he's like yeah. what six he's six th- three, three two forty eight two twenty eight 
just an absurd. He's a giant, giant man, but the least agile person that there's ever been at the wide receiver position. He's in like the like first and second percentile for his first three cone. Three cone. And and you don't. You don't need to be quick in short areas to be a wide receiver, do you? If you well, can, may, I mean, maybe well, not. If you can sprint one direction and then jump really <laughs> high, higher than everyone else, and you're six three, maybe, maybe not. There's a chance that you don't need that. This is hard for me. This is really hard for me because I heard like lots of people making this that exact argument. Actually, Matthew, like without, if you can't make like a sharp cut, like how are you getting open? I don't care how big you are, how strong you are, how fast you are. But it's like. Yeah, it's the like Devin Funches factor. Like he's bigger than everybody, but it doesn't really matter. But Devin Funches ran like a four eight. Yeah. Like Devin Funches is like slow as molasses. Like DK Metcalf ran a four three three. That matters. Like he can beat you long, but, but it doesn't my... accelerate either, which is part of the problem. Okay, that's true. My issue is is everyone has him as the clear cut number one wide receiver. And I don't see this guy as a wide receiver one. I see him as a one-trick pony that is, like, ridiculously athletic, can go deep, can run a slant. Like, some of those things, like, he's going to be phenomenal at. But I don't think that he's the guy that can do everything for you. Like, you want your number one wide receiver Well, it's to also do. crazy to me because he's a redshirt sophomore who last year he was injured the entire year. Well, he's had injury concerns this whole year. He's had injury career. concerns this whole year. So, like, the tape of him is so limited. You know and what, they have you these know what measurables. To injuries? Steroids. <laughs> and and they have these measurables. That's all they're gonna have moving into this draft process. So for him to be the unanimous number one wide receiver, I think is it's crazy in my book. So that's my thing, is I don't think that he's the do it all receiver that you would want if you're taking a guy in the top half of the first round. That's basically what it comes down to for me. I think he's a ridiculously freak athlete that probably is going to produce at the NFL level. He's a perfect fit for the Bills. He's the perfect, like, Josh Allen. Yeah. Like, compliment <laughs> Just 75 let, yards in the yeah. air. Let, let You're DK, actually right. <laughs> let DK just streak down the field. Josh he's Allen. He's the can Josh like, Allen of wide do receivers. Do like, juke, run around and just Chuck the crap out of Put him on one side and Robert Foster on the other side, and they're like, good to go. go. Has everything that on paper matters for a wide receiver, but... Actually, that's that's my new favorite draft marriage. No, (laughs) no, I love that. I'm cheering for that, too. too. We don't play them that often. That's fine (laughs) with me. Um, So that's my thing. And actually, with the wide receiver position, we were talking about how deep that position is. Like, there, you can get a good wide receiver in the first five rounds. Like, Anywhere in those first five rounds, you're going to get a guy that's going to play at the NFL level. And it is, it's hard for me to pick a favorite within each category of wide receiver. Like the small speed fast guys, like there's like three of them I love. Like I like Andy Isabella. I like McCole Hardman. I like Marquise what was it, Brown. What was Isabella's 40 time? This was funny. So his 40 time, since you didn't watch it, they... No nope. timed him. Nobody he ran, knows. He Nobody ran knows. a four five six, I think, was his first time. And everyone was like, What, what? just happened? And like he didn't look that upset. It was kind of weird. And then they came back and then he ran a second one and he did like a tenth faster. So he was in the four fours. And then they came back like ten minutes later and said that there was a laser error with his first time. And they adjusted it. 
and he got adjusted to I think it was a four three three. So he crushed it. He yeah. crushed it, and it looked like he was fast, like when you watched it. But yeah. his time that popped up was in the four fives, and it was like, huh, that's way worse than everybody expected. Yeah, he was a he was a hundredth faster than Denzel Ward. So whatever that was, it might have been four three one. Anyways, that's fast. It's it's quite. Speed. All right. So for for the record, in the last podcast, Matthew, you said you wanted DK Metcalf. Are you uh, withdrawing that statement? I don't know that. It, did I say that in the last podcast? Yes. Yes. You um, did. We we all say lots of things. Oh, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it'd I be fun. I don't, I don't want DK Metcalf where we would have to draft DK Metcalf at seventeen. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Um, he's going to be a really exciting player to watch in the NFL just because he, he, he has the capability of being physically dominant. Mm-hmm. If he I, stays on the field. I think that could be to his detriment to a lot of extent because you get those guys who are physically dominant and it takes – like it's one thing to be that impressive of an athlete, but to like physically dominate in the NFL, you have to be – Day in, like, day out. On the next level. So I think it's unlikely, but um, All right. I'm, I'm rooting for DK to the Bills. So can I name some of my favorite players yeah. from different positions? Um, the one small receiver that I really like is McCole Hardman from Georgia. Tested out of the water. Dude's quick. Him and Terry McLaurin, if we get one of those two players, they're like very, very similar. They're both super fast. They're small. They contribute on special teams. They are gonna like be on NFL rosters for a long time. They're like fourth, fifth round type players. They're gonna be third, fourth type receivers in the NFL. But they ran fast. They tested well. Like there's, I have no questions about either of those guys. Well, I know who the Browns fans are gonna want out of those two. That'd be Terry McLaurin. <laughs> yeah. The one thing, Ohio State homers that are listening to this podcast. Is McCole Hardman, I am pretty sure, is a decent bit younger than Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin's like 24 years old. <laughs> so that old man McLaurin. That matters. That matters a little bit. Um, and so, anyways, McCole Hardman is 22 and a half, and Terry McLaurin is 24 and four tenths. So yeah. Matters a lot. That's a big difference. And if I, I really see both of those players like athletically pretty similar. And so and what they would contribute to the team being pretty similar. Um so anyways, the age would be the deciding factor for me. So who situation. else? What other positions? I I mean the Browns at defensive tackle, one of our favorites that we've looked at ever since the combine was Kalen Saunders. Ever since the senior bowl. Senior bowl, you thank you. And he tested phenomenally at defensive tackle the little squatty man with a bowling ball with a huge rump on him he's he is the man for those that have probably seen the video like on the first day of practice john gruden had him do like a backflip to end practice i mean the guy is very short very squatty probably carries a couple more pounds than he needs to but still tested like ridiculously well he'd be awesome defensive tackle depth he's like a perfect third defensive tackle. So he's in the he's in the first percentile for height amongst defensive linemen. Yeah, and then ninety fourth for weight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
A bowling ball. Just a little bowling a, ball. A, try getting your hands on him. Yeah. So he was one really that... Really tiny hands. I was really happy just to see like that his testing held up and that, you know, he comes from a small school and really showed out really well. Yeah, six foot three, twenty-four. And he's faster than all three of us. So that's I, not terrifying. I believe it. I believe Watching it. him run the 40 is a f- pretty funny video. He really hauls hauls ass. I it's mean, impressive. He's, he's significantly faster than all of us. Yeah, yeah we ran in like five, the four two twos. Five, five twos. twos. Five twos. Yeah, that's what I meant. I'm used four to always. <laughs> I'm used to always talking about when like, we, should, with the we wouldn't be doing dash. this podcast if uh, we were running in the four twos. So let's be clear. <laughs> Every time I talk about the forty yard dash, I always start it with a four. But I realize when I'm talking about mine, it's a totally different category. It did make me feel better. You know, Rich Eisen runs like around like a six flat whenever he does that every year. Yeah, he's been he's been doing it for years. Uh, Rich Eisen's got a couple years on I, us. I totally totally toast to that Eisen guy. But we, we also, have no chance. <laughs> we also don't do it in a suit, so that matters. Yeah, that's a factor for sure. All right, who else? Do you have any other uh, positions specifically that stuck out to you? Um, I just know we're gonna take a defensive tackle, and so that's do like you? a. Oh, like just first round, not not necessarily first round. But throughout yes. the draft, yeah, like, we're going it wouldn't to shock me it. if we took two. Yes, you know, like if there's one position that we're gonna like need depth at and are gonna be taking somebody, like it's defensive tackle. So I thought like, you were saying first round specifically. No, no, no. no yes, no. Um, I so I wanted to look at that position in particular across the board, um, and there's a ton of options. I really like a bunch of guys. I like Jerry Tillery, the guy from Notre Dame, but he's got like a shoulder, like labrum issue. So I don't know how that's going to affect his stock, but he tested super well. Um, Quinnen Williams would just be an absolute dream, but if he goes anything but one, like somebody's making a mistake. That guy is phenomenal. Um, Rennell Wren, who was also at the Senior Bowl, tested really, really well. Everyone's question about that guy. Uh, Rennell Wren played at Arizona State, if I've got that right. Yep. Um, is his motor, he's kind of like, his want to is a little inconsistent. Uh, but his highs are like about as good as it gets, and he tested super well. Um, so anyways, there, I think there's a ton of ton of options. Um, Ed Oliver didn't do very many of the tests, so we didn't really get much from, Why would from you? Mr. Ed. So this is a funny thing that did I just... Did you do co- the linebacker workouts like people... Some you, people did requested? Did you see that they requested? No. The only thing that Ed Oliver did was weigh in, basically. And he weighed in at 287, which was more than everybody thought he would. So this is what's going to happen. He said, mic drop. So this is what they do. I just I kind of put this together as I was like deeply engrossed in the combine. This is the move. When you're a top prospect like that with like size concerns, whether you're too big or too small... You get to the weight that you need to be for the combine. You weigh in. That becomes like your set in stone, like set weight. Then you get to your more athletic weight or where you're more comfortable and you do your tests at your pro day and they like don't actually connect the two. So he's going to probably be 10 pounds lighter and go run a 40 and they're going to say he's 287 and he ran a four or six and it's, they're going to equate those things and that's not actually true. Some people have the luxury of being able to do that. <laughs> but it's only if you're at the top of the draft board of everybody. Like, you can't do that if you're a mid-round. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. So, 
Ed Oliver is probably my like dream pick for the Browns. Oh, yeah. and I think we have to move up to get him. But if he drops past ten, like I would encourage the Browns to move up to to take him. Even in a, even in this draft where there's so many defensive tackles. Yes. Because he's the best of them. Yes. I. He's not the best of them. Quinnen Williams. Quinnen Williams is the best. I would. I'm pretty confident in saying that. But I like Ed Oliver next. And his athletic abilities are... Ridiculous. Second to none. Ridiculous. And he's getting unreasonable knocks on him. I don't... I would... I don't know how he's going to make it out of the top 10, but every mock draft has him outside the top 10 right now. Great. So I don't know if that's legit or not, but there's no like buzz about Ed Oliver at the moment. Keep him coming. What does Major Applewhite think about his coat selection and so, all sorts of stuff? Well, so we'll see. Um, all right, here's my question for you. If all of those interior defensive linemen are not there whenever we get to 17, if we don't trade up, if we don't reach to get one of those guys mm-hmm. and say Christian Wilkinson's at Oliver, the edge guys, sweat's gone. We don't have any defensive linemen there. Who do you guys want to pick? Say DK Metcalf is still there. So here's what I feel. I feel like there are tons. <laughs> DK Metcalf is not going to be there at 17. If we stay there, that's not even a realistic situation. I. It's possible. I think it's possible. I mean, I guess 17 is the exact spot where the Chargers took Derwin James last year, and everyone expected Derwin James to be a top 10 pick. So I guess you can't say it's not possible. It's the one reason why I have hope that Ed Oliver could like somehow miraculously drop to us. But I think this is where I would go the Pete Smith route and take a top tight end if a top tight end is available and go with TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, you, you like Hawkinson. You were talking about him um, ahead of the draft. There's the two Iowa tight ends. If people have been paying attention to the draft, you know they're the top two guys. They tested better than anyone else, and they were already at the top of the list. They just kind of proved their worth. Noah Fant is the ridiculously athletic pass catcher, ran like a 4-5, and then TJ Hawkinson is the more well-rounded like full tight end that m- – I would say a majority of people have as the number one, but there's definitely a a decent contingent that likes Fant even better than him. So they're both kind of vying for that top tight end spot. Hawkinson um, blocks a little bit better. It's a better fit for the Browns. It's a better fit for the Browns because the Browns have the pass catcher in Njoku right now, the athletic pass catcher that's going to go up and make the plays. And Hawkinson can do that. Like, he's fast. He got up to speed and ran a four seven, but his start in the forty was horrible, and he just like Similar kept gaining speed to some other brother that I know. Oh me, yeah, don't have the best start in the forty. <laughs> <laughs> we were joking about this today, and if you go back and watch our video that we posted to YouTube, uh, we reposted it recently. But uh, Michael's first movement off the gun is vertical. Looking to improve on Stands that this up year. Straight. And then it's like a cartoon character. Just <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. But if he if you got a better start, you might be able to hey, pull it out this year. We'll see. Need we're, to we're waiting for a nice day. We're gonna run the forty again this year. Brought to you by a, Barbasol once again. We're gonna add another we're gonna add another drill. Drill. What what did we decide? Three cone. Three the, cone? The way in. 
The way <laughs> I will lose. We can we can toss that. I don't know that you will. I'm creeping up there, brother. No, but if you like, if you adjust it for your height, like I think. You, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. I don't know. In like a combine, like NFL perspective, I think Matthew might be the true loser. That's true. A little he's, too. He's got the thin. height, but I'm, he's a I'm little positionless. A that's little too sure. fragile. There's no position for Matthew Frail Coon. Kicker is the only one that you would survive in. Like punter. You have a very you have a very Justin Tucker frame. Yeah. <laughs> like a Michael Dickinson frame. Yeah. You could place me in a few positions. You could place Mark in a few positions. Oh well what positions will we place you in, Michael? I think I would long snapper. I'd have to Mike, Michael has a long snapper's body. Yeah. The height Real... is an issue for Michael. Yeah, five eleven doesn't get you very far in the NFL. If just my it measurables could, could make you a quarterback. True. If you just took my measurables, you could place me in positions. But if you took my body fat composition, <laughs> then you could not. You're not like DK. You <laughs> not like 1. DK. 6. Like six one one eighty five is not big, not big, but. But that's like when a you realize, good size corner. When you realize how little of that is muscle, it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a good, you're like a fine size quarterback. I'm a, I'm a doughy boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. I'm, so, anyways, I think I'm, I'm with you, Michael. I, I would, and Pete. I think it would be awesome if we got TJ Hawkinson. I think that having that one two punch at tight end and having someone that could be on the field especially with all of our running back talent, and we can show that threat of running the ball often with a heavy set lineup, but then also have the pass catching ability also on the field at the same time. It shows versatility that I think Kitchens would absolutely love. And it would be miserable for defenses to account for. No, it would be. It would be terrible. Um, It'll be interesting to see what what Dorsey does, though. I think if... If we can't go D-line early, I think he's going to look to offensive tackle, and I think he's going to look to cornerback. Yeah, and, I agree. It's likely – it's very possible, if not likely, that the top cornerback in the draft will still be available. Uh, yeah, top corner. Yeah, so I think corner tackle – we met with – what's his face from that I talked about from – Dillard? Uh, Dillard. We met with Dillard for sure. That was confirmed. We met with um, Jawan Taylor, but I don't think he's going to be available at 17. I think Jawan Taylor from Florida is going to be gone by that time. But nobody picks right tackles that high. like, And that's the, that's the thing with him. He's only ever played right tackle, and he's got the athletic profile to play left, but he hasn't. I think that and the so tide is turning on the right tackle, left tackle thing, and I wonder if we're going to see that reflected in draft position. Perhaps. We'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting. It's clear that the top... Jonah Williams is a big mystery, too, how people view him. He's got shorter arms. So the top tackles that are out there are Jonah Williams, Jawan Taylor, Andre Dillard, and probably um, the kid from Oklahoma, Cody... um, Ford? Ford, thank you. Those guys, a lot of them could move inside. Jawan Taylor's clearly a tackle, but most people have him pegged as a right tackle. Most people have Dillard pegged as a left tackle, but he's got some work to do. He's got all the athletic traits 
phenomenal in pass protection, not so great in run in the run game, like I stated earlier. Um, but tested phenomenally. Jawan Taylor tested fairly well too, even though he was nicked up. He didn't run the forty, but he did most of the position drills and everything else. Looked really, really good. My guess is Jawan Taylor is the first tackle that's taken. Um, but a lot of people, especially after the tests, think that what's his why can't I Dillard is gonna be right up there too. But the longtime presumed first tackle was Jonah Williams. And he was the highest rated coming out of high school, played at Alabama, but didn't look that great in some big games. Like, got beat in a lot of big games. Over and over and over again. And so it's like, what do you see from this guy? He's fairly technically sound, but not super consistent. And so I don't know what you take from that. He's been super adamant that he's a tackle and doesn't want to move inside to guard, which is where most people see him. So I... I'm curious what all of his visits are going to, what's going to happen after all that, because um, some guys might like, like him and actually believe that he'll move inside and can be a valuable player. But uh, I don't know what to make of it. The Browns might be a good fit for a, a player like Jawan Taylor though. Play him at right tackle for a year. And then as the Greg Robinson situation plays itself out, you have the opportunity to move him over to left tackle or you could leave him at right tackle. Oh, Frick, if he's available at 17, I'd take him in a heartbeat. But I put a very slim chance of him being available yep. at 17 at this point. So that's that's my answer. We're going we're going tackle or we're going cornerback. I'm with you on the cornerback thing, just knowing Dorsey's history. and That would not surprise me in any way. <sighs> the thing to me about this cornerback class is I don't know who that guy is. Like, is there a player, though, that you think, like, if there's no corner available, like, which corner in this class would you take at 17? I don't have an answer to that. Probably because like, Greedy's going to be Williams. gone before. I don't like Greedy Williams. Why don't you like Greedy Williams? I didn't ask you if you liked him. I, you asked me who I would take at 17, and that's probably the guy. So Greedy, then there's also DeAndre Baker. Greedy Williams has the physical profile that you would want. He's tall. He's long, he's super fast, he can change direction, and all everything that you want from a physical profile, he's got. I think he's the perfect... He's a little thin. He's the perfect what? I think he's the perfect like counterbalance to... Um, what's his face? Denzel Ward? Denzel Ward that Why? we've got on the other side. Because you have that size component. Denzel Ward's going to struggle with those big receivers that are just going to body him out, because he's... He's not very big. He's athletic enough to stick with anybody, and he can jump with anybody, but he's, he's going to get out-muscled. Greedy Williams is tall, but he's not big. Right. He's really thin. He's really thin. He weighs less than me, but he's 6'3". He's 6'3", 182. Greedy Williams is real thin. He's like a rail. He has the height and the length, but he doesn't have the... He's not thick at all. And they're, like everybody that watches his tape keeps talking about how he takes plays off. And like, isn't always in it. Dude, I don't want that guy. That's the exact opposite from what you want from a corner. I do not want that guy as a corner. Like, I it's like a scratch off to me. Like, I just completely like don't want to take him for at the route where he's gonna be taken. Like, he's gonna be taken in the first in the top fifty picks, and I'm not gonna spend that sort of asset on a guy that I can't trust whether he like is gonna give it a hundred percent all the time. So, according to the mock draftable, Greedy Williams is 
nearly five inches taller than Denzel Ward and two pounds heavier. Exactly. And Denzel Ward does not look big. No, he's... He looks thin. Yeah. That's crazy. So, uh, that's my thing. Is it, and Byron Murphy's in the conversation for being like a top corner, but most people think he's probably more of like a top slot type player. Um, he's probably a pretty good zone corner, which I think is actually like what we're going to be playing under Steve Wilkes a little bit more than man coverage. Um, so that, that could be a good fit. Like Byron Murphy wouldn't make me mad, but I just don't know if you have to take him there. I feel like we could get a corner. You can wait later. And get like a rock. you saying that get somebody a little bit later. That's probably going to provide a similar amount of, like output for you. I just don't know if that's the obvious choice at 17. Right. I'm just super interested to see how the board falls. Like how many quarterbacks actually go there in the top 10? How many and guys like go and, ahead of us? How many receivers? Yeah. yeah. Like is there, I think Metcalf will be gone, but are there other guys that go up? There was such good testing. The Nikhil Harry's the, like so many of these wide receivers tested really well. And proved that they probably do deserve a first round pick if somebody wants to take them there. So, what happens in front of us in the draft is like super interesting to me. That's why it's fun to pick at seventeen. Here's yeah. a here's a question quickly. That's combine slash draft related. There's a lot of talk that um, Kyler Murray might go number one to the Arizona Cardinals, in which case Josh Rosen becomes trade target what is a reasonable thing to give up for josh rosen right now i just think it's ridiculous if you're a quarterback needy team like what are you willing to give up for a josh third rosen? round pick a that's third what, round pick that's what they said but 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 why would you okay you are sitting there on the opposite side of another you're in another nfl franchise right and this other franchise just drafted a first round quarterback and now they immediately want to ship him off somewhere else and draft a new quarterback what message does that send who is going to dole out a bunch of value for that guy when they've had him in their like on their campus for a whole year and decided yeah we got to go another direction like it's like a used car as soon as you drive it off the lot it's <laughs> That's like exactly you... what the surviving the season guy said today did they <laughs> yeah Th- no, that's exactly what it is. It's like true. it's like as soon as you buy it, its value goes down because all you're you're sending all these messages about why are you selling it right okay, now. Okay, but if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, there's all these reports that Nick Foles is going to the Jaguars. Why in the world wouldn't you give a second round pick to the Cardinals to take Josh Rosen over Nick Foles? I would like. I would try. To, Josh Rosen try is to send a third light round. years better than Nick Foles. I would try to send a fourth round pick in Carlos Hyde. and see if they bite no but like i I, if i'm the jags i might give up my first round pick to get josh rosen like honestly i don't think that would be bad value i don't think i don't see it playing out that way i don't think it's actually what's going to happen i don't think you would have to which is which is kind of crazy yeah which makes it great value no if, if i was the jags i would definitely trade my second for for Rosen, it's a no brainer. And, and not give the the giant contract to. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's gonna be a weird situation. I, in some ways, I hope 
that the Kyler Murray to Arizona thing happens so that we can see what happens with this Josh Rosen trade. Like, that is so intriguing to me. Such a bizarre, unique situation. It'll be really exciting. Well, and everyone's going to know, like, Mark, to your point, like, everyone's going to know that they're trying to dump him. Yeah. So, like, his value is, like, in the tank. But what's also interesting is they don't have to dump him. Like, they're they're not committed a as far as a ton of dollars to the quarterback, they could do. They point. could do the exact opposite. Draft Kyler, oh, except for the Cliff Kingsbury thing. Draft Kyler Murray, trade him. They won't do that. They won't do it. So, but then that value problem wouldn't be in. Wouldn't be a factor in any way. One thing I think is funny about this whole thing is how definitively everyone seems to be talking about this whole quarterback situation. Like coming out of the combine, everyone seems to be talking about how. Kyler Murray is going to the Cardinals, like number one. And they're not talking about it in any sense of like questioning, like this might happen. They're like, we're expecting this to happen at this point. And they're talking about Rosen going to the Redskins and being the fit with Jay Gruden. And they're already slotting Dwayne Haskins to the Giants. And it's like all of these guys have their spot already. If and you're I saw, the Giants, do you want Dwayne Haskins or do you want Josh Rose? Like, given the the draft capital you'd have to give up to get them, like send oh. a third for Rosen or a first for Haskins. Like, are they really that different of a player or a prospect? No, you take Rosen all day. I I think Rosen's a better player than Dwayne Haskins. But probably, maybe. He's got more experience. You, you've at least got more tape on him to, to know what he is. And that, that's valuable. Like when yeah. you're looking at a like quarterback, like having more reps and more tape to show on a player, like that's more is better than less. My thing with Kyler Murray getting drafted number one overall, can we, if that happens, if a 5'10 quarterback gets drafted number one overall, can we just stop once and for all talking about quarterback heights? It doesn't matter anymore. It's not even a thing, especially if he's successful. It's not an important factor anymore. So I heard something, one of the more interesting things I've heard on this in a long time. So I was listening to Surviving the Season today. They had Jim Coburn, which is that guy that does all the metric stuff and does all the like market yeah. share Geometrics. data. Yeah. He's like Pete Smith's like favorite guy related to the draft. He basically like applies all of his principles to his draft philosophy. And he was great. He was really, really good in the podcast format. But he was talking about this height thing, and he was saying if you group all of the quarterbacks like by their height, so Kyler Murray would be in the 5'10 category yeah, along with Russell Wilson, right? You know, And these yeah, guys would all be alone. in there. Yeah. You look at them all siloed. So there's the 5'11 quarterbacks, the 6'0 quarterbacks, the 6'1", the 6'2". The shorter guys are probably better. If you look at them all individually in those segments – their success rates are all about the same. Really? The difference that you see is there's just a lot more of the big ones that come in because everyone assumes that like the tall quarterbacks are the ones that are like good. And so early on they get sifted out and it's there's a lot more tall quarterbacks. But the success rate, if you look at them, is relatively similar. Not like percentage of success, like the percentage of success. But as you look across each group of like height, 
So say it's 40% success rate, whatever the success is being defined as. The 5'11 quarterbacks, 40% of them will succeed just like 40% of the 6'3 quarterbacks mm. will succeed with similar production and everything from the collegiate level. It's really interesting. So it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, like... But it's a it's a really interesting way to like look at that whole spectrum. Anyways. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch a essentially five foot, I guess he measured five ten, right? So a five foot ten quarterback. Well, it's, he's with Russell Wilson. He's just a little bit shorter than Russell Wilson, but he's super athletic too. My thing with him is I don't see the magnetic leadership personality from Kyler Murray that I've seen from other quarterbacks. Like, some of the other small guys that I've seen that have really done well, like Baker, like Russell, like Drew Brees, like, those are rally-behind-me, like, let's-go-win-this-battle type guys. Kyler Murray seems, like, super chill. I'm not saying that doesn't win it, but it doesn't give me a lot of confidence that he's, like, the guy. Yeah, but so I'm going to center my entire, like, franchise around. But Pat Mahomes is the chillest, too. Like, I mean, like, there's exceptions to that, for sure. I think so. Yeah. We'll see. Time will tell. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Um, we appreciate you guys. Um, if you want to get more engaged with us, we are, and by we, I mean Michael, is always on Twitter, <laughs> at Sin of Our Fathers. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram, That's at Mark. Sin of Our Fathers. Um, also, if you want to send us an email, we got uh, Gmail, Sin of Our Fathers at gmail.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. We would appreciate it so much. Um, Thank you to all our Tokyo listeners. We appreciate you guys. Go Browns. Go Browns. Browns.